This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. Start a brand new series um, called Locked Up, Not Out, based on Paul's four prison letters, um, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. So we'll be going through those over the next, next number of months. Called Locked Up, Not, Not Out. So meaning that you, you can lock up the gospel, but you can't lock it out because the gospel moves forward regardless. And so we're, we're learning from, from Paul and his instructions to, to the church. He's in a place where you and I would, would, would not choose to be, but Paul embraces that circumstance in his life. And it's kind of interesting because you kind of walk through his prison letters. You get this sense that wherever he is, he is committed as a slave of Jesus Christ, as a servant of Jesus Christ, um, to live out his life in seeing the gospel advance. So it might be in prison. It really doesn't make any difference. Guess what? Prison people came to faith, right? So God used him in, in, in that place. It didn't make any difference. You can lock him up, but you can't lock out the good news of the gospel. So that's what we're talking about. Now, Mario did an excellent job last week um, providing an overview of the book that we're in now, um, overview of Ephesians. And so I encourage you if, you, if you missed last week, you might want to go back and grab that teaching I did. It's on YouTube. And so do that, and that can help provide a foundation for our study today. But I want to dive into um, some things before we get to Ephesians chapter 2. So we're in Ephesians chapter 2 this week and kind of share with you what I would just suggest is the purpose of Ephesians or at least partially. Um, Number one, there are three I want to share. Number one, that we would mature in the faith is never God's design that you and I don't grow in our faith right? It's never his design. His design is that as we abide in him, we grow and we mature in our walk with him. Now that's going to look different for, for, for all of us. We all, we all start at different places in life. We've come out different journeys in life, um, but we are all called to mature in our faith, to grow up. So just like we humanly and physically grow, um, we are to do that in the faith. We're not to stay as little children, right? In the faith, we are to grow and we're to mature. And Ephesians helps us to do that. Number two, that we would develop the disciplines needed to mature in Christ and to live these disciplines out practically in every area of our life. Now, I know that sometimes when we talk about disciplines, we can kind of go like, whoa, I don't like that because when we discipline ourselves in a certain area, it typically means like we're going to work at that over and over and over again. And that's, that's actually really exactly what it, what it means. It would develop these disciplines that are needed to mature in, in Christ. So we talk about the discipline, for example, of being a Bible reader. And I'll begin with like, okay, when you think you can understand the Bible, then dive in. No, 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 because there isn't a one of us that understands fully all of the Bible. We all have questions. I have some questions um, about the Bible that will only be answered when I'm in eternity with Jesus. I get a chance to ask him. Same is, is for you. But we're to develop that discipline of Bible reading, of being together, of growing together, of living out our purpose, and so on. Numbers that we'll talk about over the next number of weeks. But they are needed to mature in Christ and to live those all practically in everyday life. Ephesians helps us to do that. Number three, that we would understand our purpose as one body, the church, with Christ as the head of the church. There's only one head of the church, yes? And his name is? Yeah. 
So Tom is not the head of the church. Agreed? Everybody say amen. You should be really thankful for that, right? I often hear people go, hey, I'm coming to your church. I go like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not my church. I don't want that responsibility, right? It's God's, he's the head of the church, and we are to live out um, in different roles, in different ways, the purpose that he has called each and every one of us to, so that Ephesians helps us understand our purpose as one body with Christ as the head of the body. So I'll talk about purpose in just, just a little bit. You have a purpose as an individual. We have, I have a purpose as an individual, and we have a purpose as a, as a church. As we mature and develop as believers, we will have an impact on the world around us by fulfilling God's purpose and understanding that it's God's will that we grow mature as disciples of Christ. Now, let me, let me say this. If you've ever felt discouraged about your spiritual life and are you having any impact in the world today, then I would just say, like, join, join the crowd here. So, so do I. There are times when I go like, God, like, am I making any difference in the world? Or am I making any difference in, in my world? Is like, what am I doing? Just being, do you ever feel that way? Yeah. And so we can, we, can, we can fall into that error, I think, of thinking that we're not making any difference in the world, but we are as we live out our purpose as a church and as individuals, maturing and growing in him, we will make a difference in the world today. It's not because it's our story, it's because it's the gospel story that is being lived out in you and through you. So Paul's prayer included his desire that his readers, that's you and me, right, the church in Ephesus, but by extension, you and me, that we would grow in the knowledge of who God is. And as he writes, Paul provides what I'm just calling a roadmap to maturity in Christ. Now, a roadmap shows us the way. So some of you will be heading out on, you know, vacation, other destinations, or you, you've, you've come back. And we will all probably use some form of a map, right? We want to know how we're going to get from here to there. So Jen and I were at an event last week. And we need directions, so we go to the roadmap and or to, you know, the, the, our app, and you do the same thing to tell us how we're going to get from here to here. Well, Paul does the same thing. Like, this is how you're going to mature in Christ. So if you're right here or wherever you are, this is the way to maturity. A roadmap shows us the way. It points us in the right direction if we want to get there. This roadmap that I'm suggesting to you this morning has a name. Are you ready for it? There it is right there. The name is doctrine. You go like, doctrine? Yes, because doctrine is a set of beliefs based on the Bible that lead us and guide us and ground us in the foundations of our truth. It's the very thing that keeps us on track. Now, I know like whenever we, we talk about doctrine, we go like, oh, doctrine, right? And you've been through maybe some school or, or some teaching like doctrine. And you, but listen, biblical doctrine, doctrine based on the Bible, is the thing that keeps us grounded. Perhaps more than any other book in the Bible, Ephesians connects sound doctrine and practice in the Christian life. So you want to live out your life, your Christian life, as a follower of Jesus in a way that's honoring of him, in a way that makes an impact in the world today, then you will base that on sound biblical doctrine. One of the resources I, I use quite a bit, and maybe you do too, got questions, says this. In order to live out God's will for us in our lives practically, in other words, to, to get up in the morning, 
And to live out our day, practically, we must first understand who we are in Christ doctrinally. So we understand who we are, what we are called to do, in just a moment, what we were, and what we, we are, are now when we understand that. Then we can live out our life practically. Sound biblical doctrine provides a solid foundation on which we establish our beliefs. Without it, we drift. I'm going to hang on to that word in just a moment. Uh, we, we drift and we're prone to drift. Jesus, in his most um, um, famous sermon, Sermon on Mount, Matthew chapter 7, talks about the absolute need for a solid foundation, right? Remember the two houses? And so Jesus has a house that's built on the sand. What happens and life happens and it just washes away. But that the, the foundation of rock, the foundation of solid is built on him. It will stand. See, without, without solid biblical teaching and understanding and commitment to biblical truths, we are prone to drift. So Paul shares to Timothy um, this warning in 1 Timothy. We're going to get to Ephesians in just a second, but I really feel like we just need to lay this foundation. Um, he says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine or if anyone comes along and teaches you like worldly views and does not agree, that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness he is puffed up with conceit and understands absolutely nothing see if we're not actively building then we will see erosion set in and a shift in what we believe and it happens slowly now this is critical Doctrine based on God's word, those foundational truths, it's critical to keep us from drifting. It corrects our thinking. Does anyone ever have the need to have your thinking corrected? All of us, right? This is what the Bible does, what sound biblical doctrine does. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture, everybody say all scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God and it's profitable for teaching for reproof, and here it is, for correction, and for training in righteousness. This is what the Bible does. Now, um, if I were to ask you this question, have you seen a drifting in the world today? You would undoubtedly say, say yes. Have you ever heard this? Um, the Bible is old-fashioned. Have you heard that? Or something similar? Oh, the teaching in the Bible on marriage, that's old-fashioned right? Or the teaching on the Bible, that's, that's old-fashioned. And we've seen this thinking kind of in culture for sure, and culture has drifted and shifted completely away. But here's what I want to say. The biblical truths do not change. Amen? Biblical truths do not change. And so the further the drift, the further you get away, the more extreme the Bible appears to be. You with me? But who moved? The Bible doesn't change. It's just there's been this drifting in culture that takes us away from solid biblical truth, doctrine, and now it just seems to get more and more extreme. This is what happens when we, when we drift. The shifting away from biblical truth happens slowly. It rarely happens the other way. It's a slow move away. This is why it's absolutely critical that you and I are committed to what the Bible says, biblical doctrine. Let me try and illustrate. So Jen and I, 
who happens to be my wife, Jen. Um, we built, on one side of our, of our home, we, I think two years ago, we, or three years ago, we built, we built a fence. And um, so, it, and it's straight. Now it's straight. But I got one morning, and I went out and looked at the, the fence, and, and it went like this, and one post was out like this, and it comes back in. I go, well, how did that happen? Someone moved the post, you know. Well, I just missed it. So I got my shovel out, and I, I dug down, and I straightened it out, you know, put it back into alignment. So um, last week, we were painting the front fence, and I went to paint the back fence, and I looked at that fence, and it was, went out like this, and then it dodged way out one post like that, and then back in. And I'm thinking, I would not do that. I wouldn't walk away. I mean, I fixed this other one. I wouldn't walk away from a post that was out of alignment like that. So what's going on? So I, I went up to it. I tried to jiggle it. And it was solid. And so I got my shovel out and I started digging down. You know what I discovered? I have a tree here. And that tree had sent a root out. And it started to grow against that post. And over time... The root grew, and guess what happened? It slowly pushed the post out of alignment. It was a slow um, happening. It was, as it grew, and so I had to dig down, I had to cut the root out, and I had to push that post back in alignment. You see, this is what happens. If we are not solidly rooted in the Bible, um, we have this slow drift that begins to happen. And the Bible's here, and pretty soon we're stepping here, and pretty soon we're stepping. See, this is biblical. That's why biblical doctrine is so absolutely important. We're going to look at some foundational truths in just a moment from Ephesians. Doctrine is the worldview. Biblical doctrine is the worldview on which we govern our lives and how we can know we are walking in obedience to Christ. So we must be committed to what the Bible says and some foundational truths I want to share with you today. Just forward them really, really quick. Number one. So let's take a look at them from the book of Ephesians chapter two. So here we are in Ephesians, right? So foundational truths that serve as doctrine or set of beliefs. Number one, um, let's talk about what, what we were. We were, everybody say, dead. dead. We were. So that's, that's where we were. You're a follower of Jesus, you were dead, and I was dead. So the Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, this was our beginning in life. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what? Dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And over the last number of weeks, we have talked about, and even in our Galatians series, how it's not through works. Mention that in just a moment. It's not through works. It's by God's Grace. Someone posed these questions. When the, when the self-concept of individuals has been distorted or destroyed, which the enemy does, how do you help them? How do you rebuild their sense of worth? How do you help a person struggling with guilt or who is, has an inferiority complex? How do you help them develop 
confidence? And those are all, all great questions. So how do we address the problems in the world today, the problems in one another that result from being dead? Well, the answer is found in the gospel story because the gospel story begins with dead people. You and I were born dead. We recognize and remind one another that that was our state. Now, there's good news in just a little bit, and we're going to talk about that, but it's not like that we were like almost dead, like we had something that could come alive. No, we, we were actually, I'll just say it this way, we were actually dead dead. Like we were dead dead. We had no capacity on our own to come dead with no hope for any future. That's what you were born into, and that's what I was born into. That's what the world is born into. Now, you, you may be the perfect student, but you all were born dead, right? You may be the perfect human, but you were all born dead. I was born dead with no hope of any future. We were dead and we were lost. And remember the, the roadmap I shared a little bit. We, we were lost and we were wandering around and we were drifting. We had no, and we had no clue that we were even lost. At some point in your life, the Spirit and God drew you, called you, and you responded to him. But uh, we had no clue that we were lost. The reality of dead people, spiritually dead people, is this. We have no ability to communicate with the living one who is dead spiritually has no communication with God. He is separated from God. We were, we were born separated from him. There was that point in our life when his spirit came alive. But look, we had no ability to communicate with God the Father. Now, I want to talk about the privilege of alive people in, ju in just a moment. But not only were we dead, we were following the leader of death, Satan. Right? We, that was just what we were doing. We were living to pursue and satisfy our own sinful cravings. One author puts it this way. We were, are at, we were at the mercy of the tyrant self and its rash impulses because we were born dead and we were following the leader of, of, of death. We were living out of control lives, controlled by our own passion. You go like, well, I was just a baby. Well, you were born in sin. Dead in our trespasses, Paul says. But the good news is this, because we were born dead, but Paul says we're now alive. What we were and what we are now. We are alive. Everybody say alive. This is the good news. Alive. We were this, but now we are this. We were separated from God until the moment he drew us to himself, and we experienced his mercy and his great love. And I just want to ask you this question, because there are... There are some of us who have been in this journey of faith for a long time. And has that reality that what you were, you are no longer, has that been lost on you? Maybe you've been in this journey of faith for, you know, a year, two years, three, whatever. But has the reality that you were dead and you were following your own lustful passions in life, you were following um, the, the one who was leading us to eternal death by nature, but now you are no longer that. You are alive in Christ. Has that reality been, been lost? Or, or, or is the possibility that you've drifted just away from the reality of what that means? You're still, you're still a follower. You're still a believer. But it's just reality. Like if all of a sudden you were dead, but now you're alive. Man, can you imagine the rejoicing? We were dead in our trespasses, but God, who is rich in mercy and because of his great life, made us alive in Christ. Who made us alive? 
God in Christ Jesus, God by his grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one could boast. Here's the reality of a live people. That is, as we get to communicate with the Father, we, we get to communicate with the creator, the one who Colossians says, and Paul, he is in all and he is over all. You see, reality of dead people, there's no ability to communicate. But as alive people, people who have been made alive in Christ, we have the privilege of communicating with the Father, whether it's from our bed during the dark at night and some of us wake up with the worries and concerns of life. I know that I've been there. Sometimes I'm there. Sometimes there are times of challenge and unrest in your life and my, li- my life. And sometimes there's just a need to lift up a, a word of praise. The privilege that we have as people who have been made alive in Christ, that we have access to the Father, direct communication, and he hears us. You may feel like your prayers don't go above the ceilings, but, but he hears us. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29 says this, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. It might be a quick prayer that you lift up, you know, in a time, time of need, instant time of need. It might be an act of praise, but he hears you. You've been made alive in Christ. We're alive with a brand new hope for eternity. So no longer are we following the one that leads us to death, right? We are now following the leader of life, Christ. We're following him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, two verses down. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So the person sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you, like they're God's workmanship. God created you just how you are. That's good news, right? The verse begins with for, for we are his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. It denotes the work of art or a masterpiece. Believers are God's workmanship because they have been created in Christ Jesus. You're a masterpiece. Come on now, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good word that we need to hear. Like God created you, you're his masterpiece. You might not think that, but you've got to get that thinking out of your head. You're God's masterpiece. He is, you are who he created. It changes how we view ourselves. It changes how we view others. It changes our relationships when we understand that. It changes our commitments. We are now following Christ, the leader who leads us to life. Finally, we are workers of good. We have good purpose. Now, God's, as, God's workmanship, as God's workmanship in our lives, it, it's not achieved by our works. We've been talking about that. But it's to result in good works. Are you with me? So Paul, I think, is in Acts 26. He's talking to King, King Agrippa. And he's talking about the repentance. But where are the works that are in accordance with repentance? Now, he's not saying that works lead to repentance, right? He's saying works are the result of of a repentant heart. Same thing here. God's workmanship in our lives is not achieved by good works, but it's the result in good works. That's purpose. You have purpose. I have purpose as we live out our life 
practically committed to God's word, um, the good works that we do are those things that he enables us to do in order to see his work and his kingdom expanded. It's the practical application of the Spirit's work in our lives. And so I say, you have a purpose individually, I have a purpose, and together as a church, we have a purpose. I'll just use it by illustrating what's happening this next week with all these kids coming in. We're committed to the kids and students in our community, yes, and in our church. And so what we're doing together as a church is we're living out this purpose by creating the space, the time, and the money, and the funds for all of this to happen. It's just part of advancing the kingdom of the gospel. When you go to work, wherever it is, when you go out into the world, we're to live out this purpose individually and as followers of Jesus. Let me summarize with these four points. Number one, we are alive, not dead, because of Christ. That's a foundational truth. We are alive, not dead. I hope that changes you as you head out. We are spirit-led, not worldly-led, because of Christ's work, because his spirit lives in us. We're spirit-led. We have a brand new hope and future because of Christ. We're on a brand new roadmap and a brand new pathway. And we have a purpose in life because of Christ. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Would you do that right now? And I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 2. Let's stand together. And it's a short chapter. And I just want to conclude today before I have one final question for you um, by reading the scripture. Chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses of your sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in, in them. Therefore, remember that one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by which is called the, the by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by the hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you once were far off, you who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near for through him 
We both have access in one spirit to the Father, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints with members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Amen? I just have one question for you, Ansys. One of our passions here at Gateway is to do this, help people take their next step toward Christ. Helping people take their next step toward Christ. So I just want to ask you this. What's your next step this morning? What's your next step? Um, for some, maybe you're online um, or you're here, maybe your next step is to make a first commitment to Jesus. Maybe, maybe you, you've, you've listened, but you've, you've, you've never, ever placed your trust and faith in him. So I'll repeat what I repeat all the time, and if, if you attend here, you know this. There is not a magic set of words, like you gotta get in the right order, or you screw the whole thing up, and you're not a follower of Jesus. All, all it is, it's just like, God, I wanna give my life to you. I, I wanna serve you all of my life. Um, I wanna be your disciple. I ask you to forgive me. And when we, when we say those words, you can follow along with me or from your own heart. Then we step into this brand new life. He puts us on a brand new road map that leads to eternity with him. We're alive in Christ. So your first step, uh, your next step may be your first step. Your next step may be, you know what? In this uh, thing about biblical disciplines and I've just been drifting. And it's been a slow drift, right? So you kind of, kind of get away from your Bible just a little bit, it's one day, two days. You know, like I go like, I, I, I get that life happens, but the drift just kind of, you know, gets a little bit further and further and further. Maybe your step this morning is I'm going to get back to a daily discipline um, of reading the Bible, you know, that's what I'm going to do, or praying. Or maybe your next step is living out your purpose. Maybe, maybe God just reminded you again this morning that you have purpose in life. We have purpose in life as we come together. So maybe your next step is going to be like, um, yeah, I need to step into who God made me to be, whatever that might look like. And so I'm going to pray and I'm just going to ask you to join around me and I'm going to ask you to just lift that step to Him, make a commitment to Him. I'll give you a way to respond in, in just a little bit. But if it's your first step toward him, faith, then just pray this with me. So Father, I just want to give my life to you. I want to make you Lord of my life. Um, I ask you to forgive me. and God, I just want to be on a brand new pathway in life. And so right now, I just step into and ask you to receive me and to forgive me and I make you Lord. Maybe, maybe this morning um, you're just going to step into a brand new rhythm of life that, that includes disciplines, biblical disciplines that will keep you from drifting. Or maybe, maybe you have found yourself drifting away just a little bit. But today you're going, I'm, I'm going to get back. I'm going to get back. And so God, help me. So Father, I would pray that you speak to many of us uh, about that. Or maybe it's living out our purpose. I don't know. God, you've given to each and every one of us purpose in life and called us to live that out. To be people who carry on good works because of what you have done in our life. So I pray that we would do that individually 
And I pray that we would do that as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, years ago, we can fall into a trap. Um, I think that says, if, oh, I've been following Jesus for a long time, you know, many, many years. And, and I have been a follower for a long time. Um, but I found uh, that was at my, it was a point in my life, and it really actually wasn't all that many years ago, that I had to say yes to Jesus all over again. It wasn't I had drifted in terms of my salvation. I wasn't deeply in love with Jesus. But I had to make some changes in my life in order to do what he was calling me to do. And so even though I'd been a follower for a long time, I had to be at that point where, where we are today. My next step um, was to make a brand new commitment in my life that would result in daily disciplines. And I don't know is as I've lived that out, all I know is that my life has changed. And all I know is that your life will change too. And it may be like God just, I just want to be close to you and I just want to live out this life in a way um, that's reflective of, of who you are. As we commit our life to him, he changes us. He changes us. And because he lives in us, we get the privilege of living our life for him. So what's your next step? I hope that you take it today. There 
Here in the power of Christ. 